Hey everybody, welcome back to the View from the Top podcast. This is Inigo Hill. Uh, Sunday, the 10th of April. Bunch of stories to talk about on a Sunday. A lot of stuff happening in countries that um, are not in the news, um, but seem to, um, I don't want to say all related, but are all important to uh, a U.S. audience, I would think. So we're going to start in Pakistan, where the Prime Minister, Amir Khan, um, has been, I guess they're calling it ousted. Um, there was a vote in the parliament. Um, I mean, this is the second time this has happened to him. First time he he uh, dissolved or attempted to dissolve the parliament to block a vote like this. Um, but this is a historical event in Pakistan, the first time it's ever happened. Um, the prime minister, in a vote of no confidence, ha- was ousted from power. So remember, Pakistan is a nuclear power. Um, and the theory behind why this is ha- taking place now, um, I mean, there's a couple components. It, you know, the vote was pretty close. Um, you needed 172 votes out of 342 seats to pass. And they got 174. So it's a 50-50 split. Um, the rumor is that many of his political allies um, ab- abandoned him um, at like the 11th hour. So he's, of course, screaming that this is a coup. This is a foreign intervention. He's blaming the U.S. And he's trying to rile up tensions. Um domestically so there's already have street protests and street riots and again if if you guys don't remember the obama administration um pakistan's a very tenuous ally with the united states there's different factions inside that country in all different so like there's the military and the rumor here is that the military might have turned their back on this guy um and that's kind of what led to the ouster um, to take place. Um, and the gov- the military there, sorry, lost my train of thought there for a second. The military there is what they would consider their deep state. If you remember when we're going in to get bin Laden, it was the, the Pakistani military, the Pakistani special operations, uh, their version of the CIA that was always playing cloak and dagger with the United States. Not really, you know, when we installed a, uh, or they voted a more Western prime minister in, there was still an undercurrent of anti-American uh, sentiment. And then, of course, most of it is justified in terms of um, their view on American foreign policy in the region. You know, you have Afghanistan right next door. Uh, you have the Taliban, which is created in Pakistan. Um, you know that is part of the country, that uh, um, tribal area in the west. So now that he's been ousted, oh, and we had to touch on this. Um, and this is already coming up, of course, on the Western media. Is prior to the invasion of Ukraine, which um, was on the twenty fourth of. February, uh, 
Khan was in Russia, in Moscow, meeting with Vladimir Putin. Uh, so their diplomatic, you know, relations, is it is that part of the reason this happens now? Was there a U.S. hidden hand in um, influence, you know, time and place? Now, this could have happened organically, um, domestically. It's not like Pakistan is one of those countries that's, you know, very, very stable. The people weren't that are coming into power now or who's supposed to be taking over um, is a a uh, a legacy family. Uh, Sharif is the last name. Um, he's the brother of three-time prime minister uh, Nawar Sharif. Um, and he would be able to hold power if he took over until 2023, October-ish. And then there'll be another election. So Khan could come back. But this is, again, you're splintering a country with, with nuclear weapons. Now, is the United States involved? Um, on what level? Who would knows? But again, you, there is a U.S. presence in Pakistan in terms of intelligence. And, you know, there are pro and cons uh, to Pakistan siding with the uh, the Americans. But is the connection between Khan and Russia the reason this takes place now? Who knows? But again, this is the important thing to know is we have a where does this go from here? I think that if we have a, a, a Pakistani prime minister in there who's doing the bidding of the United States in a country like that, when you have Khan who's already starting to, to use terms like foreign intervention, uh, this is a struggle for freedom, this is a struggle for sovereignty, this was a foreign conspiracy of regime change, as he's saying, um, you're going to spark a nationalistic fervor in Pakistan on some level. And does that mean... Um, the rise of some more, uh, you know, terrorist attacks, which is, you know, they've kind of fallen out of the news, especially in America. But, you know, that's a country that you, if you really let it erupt, it erupts. You have India next door, which um, is leaning towards Russia and has been threatened by the United States for doing so. Are we seeing here the Americans going, all right, well, we can't have Pakistan and India um, on the side of Russia. Is there a Chinese influence here? Because Pakistan and China do hold a border um, for a little bit, at least. And you have India there. And that's a whole other, uh, you know, situation that, you know, as an American, I'm, I'm, I read about, but I'm no, in no way an expert. Um, but there's that there. But this is all kind of happening uh, over the weekend. This, you know, he it was a vote of no confidence last week. And, you know, I just consider uh, paying attention to any news videos posts that you see out there about um something popping off in pakistan um the tribal areas um the, that they are the enemy of the central government and the central military but if the military is going to be pro-american you're going to see a rise and if khan is calling on more uh, you know if he's going to back that more conservative, nationalistic uh, guerrilla insurgency. I mean, 50% in the parliament is not anything to, to get excited about. So not what I consider a stable situation here. Um, and I'm sure the Americans and the Russians and whoever the powers involved um, are not going to, to, to let it um, 
let it fix itself, you know, quickly. Um, and I don't know that that that's a this is a bad one to me. This Pakistan situation. So we'll see how this unfolds going into the new the next week. Um, how it's covered in the United States is always important. So we'll be on the lookout for that. Um, I haven't seen any podcasts or anybody else covering it yet. But again, it just came down over the weekend. So we'll see where that heads. So I also wanted to talk about Yemen. So in Yemen, the leader, quote unquote, of the, I guess you would call it the internationally um, recognized government, uh, headed by the president Hadi, um, who lives in Riyadh, by the way. He doesn't even live in Yemen. He lives in Riyadh. Um, in Saudi Arabia. He's a Saudi Arabian-backed puppet government president that's been there, um, and that goes back um, to 2009. We had Saudi and Hadi. There's all different kinds um, of leaders that we could go back and talk about. But he has now relinquished power as of Thursday. And instead, what's being called a presidential council is being put together. And it's being sold by the West um, and the Saudis and UAE as this is the new government of the country. They're going to end the war. Um, you know, they're going to bring peace to the country. But when you dig a little deeper, what you see, and, you know, from an outside observer who doesn't know Yemen, they're going to see that and go, oh, okay. Well, it was immediately rejected by the, the Houthis. And we can pull up a map. And as we know, the the Houthis are in control of the northwestern part of the country there. Um, they're not going anywhere. They have no reason to go anywhere. The southern part of the country, headed all the way over to the east in Oman, is under the control of many different groups. Some UAE-backed, some Saudi-backed, some nationalists. Uh, there's a group there uh, which is now going to be part of this coalition that's that – their goal is to bring back a an, a more a two-state Yemen, and I'll bring up a map for that. We had North and South Yemen until 1990. So there's a group within this coalition in the south here of all different groups. And what this presidential council is supposed to do is bring them all together. Um, as the Houthis are calling it, um, as the uh, the uh, two-month uh, ceasefire started um, on Saturday, or last Saturday, I believe, uh, the Houthis are calling all this, uh, you know, PR for really what they call, quote, rearranging the ranks of the mercenaries. So that's what the Houthis see this as. And it does make sense. You know, the, these groups that are fighting the Houthis, um, along with the Saudi Arabians themselves, who are bombing the north of the country uh, from their own bases. Um, and then we have the U.S. fleet and other fleets uh, blockading the entire country in the south and on the west coast. You have these groups, including extremist al-Qaeda groups in the south, backed by the UAE and Saudi Arabians. So what this really is going to be is them co putting their coalition together and then after this two-month ceasefire probably trying to uh instigate the houthis into 
violating something and then saying, look, we're trying to bring democracy to Yemen um, and these guys don't want to have it. But the coalition could fall apart at any at any time. I mean, the UAE is is dominating the group. But if you just read about the um, the different groups involved, um, I don't know how they could stay together long enough to really put something uh, meaningful together. And also, it just seems like the Houthis are not worried at all by the terms, by what you're reading in these uh, the the response. It doesn't seem like it's something that now they are talking about ending the war. Now, this could mean that the STC, the Southern Transitional Council, which is one of the groups um, in this uh, coalition, they want to see the North and South. Um, Yemen brought back. Now, I mean, realistically, is this something that could happen? This would be something that would, um, I don't think the Saudis would allow, but, it, and Northern Yemen would be very, very isolated and probably be the, well, definitely be the weaker of the two countries. Um, most likely, there has to be a pullout or at least a reduction of sanctions before any of this can take place. But um, this is another big thing coming for, uh, for, the, for the war in Yemen, especially on the American front. If you have a ceasefire for two months and you know we can push Biden and Kamala and just the establishment in, in general to end the war or pull back and say you have to get some kind of humanitarian end to this thing, Maybe it does mean partitioning the country. I don't know. Um, you know, in the scheme of empire, it's not going to be what I want. Um, but that's something to be on the lookout, and I'll be following the story. I mean, two months is a long time. Let's see when the ceasefire, um, if it lasts at all. I mean, I'm not really sure it can, especially with the Pakistan situation, because that in, in, in that that can really get the whole the whole region into a, a hubbub. It really can. Um, Afghanistan, the whole thing. I mean, if Pakistan goes to shit, the Americans would actually, I think the Americans would have to go back into Afghanistan. They'd have to. If, it, if Pakistan went to shit, real shit, terrorist attacks in the streets, uh, return of the town, like a, a, a real insurgents, uh, Islamic insurgents, terrorism reign in Afghanistan, drones above, yeah, that kind of thing. The American footprint would have to move somewhere. Um, I don't know where where they'd be stationed, especially with India not being that friendly right now. It's it's just interesting. So not to get off the course. And then I just wanted to end with um, the, this, which is coming on right now. Um, and again, I usually don't cover Europe because it's not really war, but this foreign this is foreign policy in terms of what um, the Ukraine, NATO, all of Europe is now something that I have to pay attention to because all these little countries and I, I think are going to have a, a nationalistic pushback against uh, these NATO wars. I know the more east you get into Russia, I mean, into Europe, it seems like there's less of a less of a, a love for Russia. I mean, I know the Brits hate the Russians and stuff, but my point is the everyday working person in that country is, I think, much like America, is done with this international whatever it is and they, they you know americans for americans french for french uh british for british i, I just feel like that's where people want to be want to retreat to 
and I don't use retreat as a bad word. Um, it's that's where I think things are going. So we have the first round of voting in France happening right now. It just finished. Um, whatever. I guess that would be Monday. I don't know. It's mid. It's four o'clock here um, right now on Sunday, and Macron is leading. And the way that this this will work, this is the first round of voting. So then um, they'll vote. There'll be another vote, and whoever gets fifty percent wins. Um, so Penn, who is the more nationalistic right winger, he's got twenty three percent, and then the super duper duper lefties have twenty percent. And this guy Jean Luc over here, he's telling his supporters to not throw any of their support behind Le Pen. So. But he's worried that that's, his supporters are not going to listen to them because they're the lefty lefties. So they're the workers. They're some commies in there, you know, that kind of thing. And not that – in kind of a Trump situation, Macron signifies COVID. He signifies the NWO, you know, if that's your thing, the 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 – NATO, the EU, all of this stuff that a super lefty does not see as anything. Like Jimmy Dore is not a fan of any of these institutions, the UN, all that stuff. So there is some nationalistic probably tendencies in there. So the next round of uh, voting is going to be on the 24th of April. And this could be an interesting move as we have more uh, elections coming up in Europe. And of course, this is already being formulated as something to do with Putin. So this is Putin's plan. Putin is backing Le Pen, even though she's run in the past when Putin wasn't backing her and almost won. Magically now it's Putin. So this is seen as um, a, this is part of Ukraine, this this election, because now there's a, a war between Russia and Europe. You understand? So if she wins, it's Russian interference. It's already happening, which as we know in America, you're insulting the people of that country by saying that. And I think I will predict a Macron win just because that's not how the world operates. Um, but definitely there is a underpinning in a lot of places in the world right now, a lot of states in America that I, I can see that either they might not win the 50%, okay, where they, where they operate, where they live, but they're not complying with the edicts and the laws and the social structures and the cultural um, wants and needs of the at 51% majority that rules them. And that's the best way, in my opinion, to uh, protest whatever your government, if you want to call it that, or you just don't comply. And I don't mean lock yourself up, but just, you know, unemotionally go about your day and just go, no, I'm not putting a mask on. I'm not doing this. I'm not buying into Ukraine, whatever it is. And it's not just in America. It's all over. And I think with that, the rise in food prices and gas prices and inflation and people being locked up for two years, the world has gotten smaller in terms of communication. And a lot of people have learned a lot themselves, self-taught. Um, we don't give each other enough credit. And I think this is where we're headed. Um, so let's keep an eye on France and Europe in, in general. And hope that, in my opinion, this is just my feeling, I would like a more, um, I don't like the unified anything. 
unified Europe. I don't know what that means. I want free trade and peaceful trade between all nations and all people and without some evil oversight, unvotable bureaucrats from international or whatever. None of that crap. And, you know, we're going to see what happens here. Um, there's going to be a splintering in Europe um, and they're going to try to blame it on Putin. And that's not really what's happening. It's just nationalism is going to rise in a, when you crush a country um, or countries in general with a two-year COVID this, lockdown, shut down the economy. Um, people don't care about your wars anymore. They don't care about your empire. And they start educating themselves. They do. Um, not the majority, but enough. And I will say that as as a anti-war guy, I will say the from what I see, and again, it's online only, really. Um, I mean, my real life, I stay away from politics. But overall, people have a better grasp on what's going on, um, and they're not going to be fooled again. So, those are the stories for the week. We'll keep an eye on Ukraine, but these are the ones that I consider pretty interesting. Yemen, we'll see. Um, two months, but the Pakistan thing, that might, let's see where we are Monday morning. So, all right. Until next time, this has been Amigo Hill, View from the Top Podcast. Check out this and all videos over on Odyssey, on FreeSpeak, on the Hive blockchain, and then also still on YouTube. And then all the links and sourcing will be over on the WordPress, and that's View from the Top over on the WordPress. So, thanks, guys. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and I'll talk to you soon.